الجزيرة بودكاست Stop plundering Africa's resources, the message from Pope Francis as he visits two of the continent's war-torn countries. What impact will his visit have on these states? And what future does Catholicism have in Africa? I'm Sahil Rahman and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast where we dissect, analyse and help define major global stories. This episode was produced by Mohamed Aishi, Umi Kulsum Sharif from Guinean, Abla Gala and Paul Taylor. Well, for more on this, I'm joined now by our guest. In Kinshasa is Christopher Lamb, who's usually based in Rome. He's the correspondent for the weekly Catholic newspaper, The Tablet. In Pennsylvania, USA, is Massimo Fagioli, a church historian and professor of theology and religious studies at Villanova University. And in Chicago is Stan Illo, a research professor of Catholic and African studies at DePaul University. A very warm welcome to all of you uh, on Inside Story, and thank you for your time. Christopher, can I just begin with you in Kinshasa? I mean, faith is an incredibly important part of life for those that believe in a, in a higher spiritual guide. What does the Vatican hope then to achieve from the Pope's arrival in the DRC and, and later on in the week in South Sudan? Well, uh, as you say, faith is very important. Uh, to people in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, about half of the 90 million population are Catholics, uh, and the Pope is here to, I think, first of all, support them in the, the mission of the church in this country. He's calling for peace, uh, because these countries, both the Democratic Republic of Congo and South Sudan, have been really lacerated by uh, civil wars that are ongoing. The Pope has been very strong on the exploitation that's going on in Africa. So I think it's really a, a, both a trip to support the, the churches in these countries and also to call for peace and to try and bring peace where there's clearly been uh, terrible civil wars in both countries. Indeed, and we'll get into the intricacies of all of those difficulties for those countries as we continue with our chat. Massimo Fagioli in Pennsylvania. I'm sure theologians across the world, especially Catholic theologians, and uh, analysts will be closely watching the Pope's visit uh, into these countries and what he has to say uh, will reverberate amongst the Catholic Church. It will reverberate because Catholicism right now is going through a very delicate process called the synodal process, which is a process of consultation of all Catholics through and thanks to their bishops locally uh, on the major issues that are now at the center of the debate of Catholics on women in the church, on gender, on LGBT Catholics, and so on. And so some of, of these questions happen to be divisive within Catholicism, also between the Western world and some African church leaders uh, and, and not so many African Catholics. And so this is a less visible issue, especially because of the emphasis given by Pope Francis to the social economic situation of Congo and of Africa. But this is something that I believe is in the background. Uh, let's bring in uh, Stan uh, Elo in uh, Chicago. This particular pope has made it his point to highlight the unfairness of the global south. And he's focused on Africa a great deal through his papacy in various addresses to the public. The DRC in South Sudan might well be happy about this, but I suppose Africa generally will be happy to see the Pope there. Oh, definitely. I mean, you can already see from the enthusiasm of the people uh, in Kinshasa um, 
how much this visit means to our people coming as uh, it is in the post-COVID moment. You remember during the COVID that many people predicted that they will be picking dead bodies off the streets of Africa. Many people didn't want this folks to go. It's too dangerous to go, they say, just like um, the continuing uh, stigmatization of Africa. Mm. So this pope is breaking this cycle of stigmatization by believing in the continent of Africa. And I think that our people are so happy that the pope is turning the gaze of the world once more to this continent that has so much potential, but often is either marginalized, stigmatized, mm. or dismissed in world church and in global politics. Uh, let's go back to uh, Massimo here uh, in Pennsylvania, because um, this visit was well planned, as most papal visits are. But the recent conflict that we've been hearing about and seeing the east of the country has certainly changed the tone of what he's been saying. Um, how does this impact on, you might say, the public at large and also uh, the Catholic diaspora who, who's watching perhaps to see whether the, co the Pope can make a difference? I believe the Catholic Church and the papacy and its diplomatic arm has made a difference already in the, in the most recent years in the history of Congo, because let's remember uh, the previous papal visits uh, happened under the dictatorship. Uh, and so now there has been a complicated democratic uh, transition, but that is a difference. So the Vatican is always very well informed on what happens on the ground. It has one of, of, of the best uh, diplomacies in the world. Mm. And so I think that this trip um, has been modified by what's happening in some areas. But I do not think that this has been a surprise for, for those who have planned this trip, uh, which are usually very well informed and a very good diplomats. Mm. And so I, 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 I don't think this will modify the core message of Pope Francis, which is what we have heard yesterday of already during the first mass. Uh, Christopher Lamb, can I just bring you in here? Because obviously civilians, uh, certainly uh, the public in the DRC and South Sudan will look for guidance from their spiritual leader uh, as he arrives. But again, spiritual leaders like the Pope always don't really want to or try not to interact and interfere in the politics of a region or a country. But this Pope is very vocal about things that, you know, touch a nerve, don't they, with politicians? And he's, he's not been backward in coming forward when it comes to the issues of the DRC. That's right. And of course, the Pope visits the country both as a head of state and as the leader of the Catholic Church. And so in his role as head of state, he engages with the uh, leaders of the country and he addressed them yesterday with a very powerful message uh, calling for the end of the exploitation of Africa. Um, and then as the leader of the church, today it's all been about emphasizing the work the church can do for peace, about saying that there can be no justification for violence. Uh, anyone who, who is a, calling themselves a Christian, he said, and engaging in violence must lay down their arms. So he has that dual role that he can utilize on a papal visit. Of course, he doesn't have um, specific policy proposals that he wants to see implemented. 
he comes as a person of faith and he comes to try and um, change the hearts and minds of people that's that's the the main uh, resources he has at his disposal yeah but we could see today there's a million people turning out for a mass uh, that is obviously huge soft power influence spiritual influence that he that he seeks to and wants to deploy and of course the catholic church in the democratic republic of congo has been very involved in trying to ensure free and fair elections and transition to democracy and when he goes to south sudan we're going to see similar soft power influence when he goes with the archbishop of canterbury to try and the moderator of the church of scotland to try and get the warring leaders to agree to peace. So I think that's how he approaches these things. OK, well, let me just bring in uh, Stan uh, Elo there in, in Chicago, because is this where there is a slight problem, certainly with the Catholic um, uh, Church, in that the, the pontiff, as we've just heard, you know, has this dual role. He's the head of the Catholic Church. He's also head of state. And yet we have his senior bishops and clergy in a country like the DRC who've been very open in, in, in being involved in politics, you know, and we put that in inverted commas, you know, overseeing elections, making sure that they are witnesses, you know, pressurising a, a former um, president to relinquish uh, uh, in breaking uh, with tradition of the Constitution. That's all history. Does this create a problem within the Catholic Church where the Pope feels uncomfortable with the way his clergy are behaving in, as I say, politics and in inverted commas in the DRC? I don't think so. Uh, but you must understand that Pope Francis is for decentralization. He is one of the greatest uh, reforming popes that I will say of our modern times. That is, that local bishops, and not simply the bishops, is we're talking about the theology of the people. So he is not a, 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 clerical, a, a clericalist, someone who just wants to um, uh, remain at the level of what bishops are doing, what priests are doing. So in Fratelli Tutti, one of his key documents about social transformation, he emphasizes this aspect of creating fraternity. Now, weaving together the broken bonds of society, more so in societies ravaged by wars, violence, exploitation, poverty, and unmitigated human suffering in a country like DRC, that, as we know, is a country that is potentially richer than California, the 10th largest economy in the world. So the Pope is going not to impose, but rather to listen to the cries of the people and to valorize the agency of the people, especially the ordinary folk, people mm -hmm. like Sister Angelique Namaika, People who are staying outside in the periphery, they're not always seen. No. And so it is about meeting the bishops, then the church leaders. He's also meeting okay. young people. Can I just interrupt, interrupt you there? Because I'll talk about the mineral wealth and the, the people that he's meeting. I want to go back to Massimo Fagoli here, because obviously, you know, as Stan Elo uh, has just said, you know, he wants to try and bring peace to a, a region that's so traumatised and listen to the people of their woes. But this is a holistic approach, not just the DRC, but also its neighbours. And Rwanda is not involved in this papal visit, yet around about 40% of Rwandans are Catholics, uh, Massimo. Has the, has the Vatican missed a trick by not involving Rwanda as part of their itinerary? Because then that is where the main crux of the, 
of the, the problem lies at the moment in the region, isn't it? This relationship between the DRC and Rwanda and the proxies that are fighting in the east of the country. That is certainly true. And this is something that some members of the, of the clergy and some missionaries in Congo have spoken about uh, openly. When a pope travels and when a pope does uh, his job as, as pastor of the Universal Catholic Church in a trip abroad, uh, he has to balance two elements, which is on the one side, the prophetic message, uh, peace and justice, reconciliation, and speaking truth to power. And on the other side, the other uh, element in balance is, uh, is diplomacy. So here, what Chris Lamb was saying is very important. The Pope travels as a religious leader, the leader of the Catholic Church, but also as, as a head of state. And so all these elements are mm. very carefully considered when these speeches are drafted, when they are delivered, the people, the Pope Francis meets, uh, what he, he says and what he doesn't say. One final thing. So is, is it's also important to pay attention to what a Pope doesn't say. And these are, are silences that are usually uh, picked up by important listeners. And so we shouldn't expect uh, a confrontational line from a pope who travel in one country against a neighboring country, especially when there are intra-Catholic mm. issues there. But this is certainly something that um, has not been missed by those who have organized this trip and also by those who are following Pope Francis there. Sure. It, it is prophecy and, and, and it's a diplomacy at the same time in, in a very delicate balance. It is a delicate balance, isn't it, Christopher? Because obviously, you know, he knows what the problems are. You know, Congo has some of what the world's richest deposits of diamonds, gold, copper, cobalt, tin, tantalum, lithium. Uh, you know, international players want those resources. Add to the mix uh, an insurgency, a cross-border, you know, skirmish and fight that's ongoing and has been ongoing for decades. Where does the Pope start in trying to reconcile or try to help reconcile these various disparate groups? Oh, yes, it's obviously a very complicated political situation. What I've been struck by so far in the trip is that the Pope has not held back in uh, identifying the problems and the injustices that he's seeing uh, in the in the country, which he says are, you know, he doesn't name names, but he does say clearly that there are outside interests who are um, fueling conflict through greed, through desire to uh, control, and he used the phrase an, an, an economic colonialism, which he says is enslaving people. So. He is able to speak out very clearly and prophetically, as, as Massimo said, uh, and he is able to uh, lay out the problems. But as he does have to keep the diplomatic channels open, he's not going to um, condemn individuals. But it was interesting yesterday, you mentioned Rwanda, the president of, of the Democratic Republic of Congo, in his speech to the Pope, uh, named Rwanda as fueling the conflict in the eastern part of, of yeah. the Congo. Uh, and the Pope yeah. then responded by saying that actually a forgotten genocide had been going on in the Congo. So there are ways in which to, to, to make points without 
necessarily laying out uh, specific condemnations of individuals. Uh, Stan Hilo, uh, let's just talk about the fact that, you know, that the Pope and the Congolese president, Felix Tshisekedi, may have a different take on how to deal with the conflict at the moment in the East. But the Pope is in town. The president, President Tshisekedi, knows that were his words at any podium, as he welcomes the Pope, will get a lot of airtime globally. How much pressure does that put on, do you think, on groups like the M23 and the government in Kigali? Because they're obviously watching very carefully what is happening and what is being said. I think it's enormous pressure. And just to um, go back to um, what Massimo was saying, um, the, the Pope has also invited Bishop from Rwanda and Burundi, and indeed the Great Lakes area. So um, he's meeting with these bishops because, as you know, the Catholic Church in Africa indeed is a well-connected, if you like, a well-oiled machinery. So there is an important movement to resolve this problem because, interestingly, both countries have a majority Catholic. Now, I think there's enormous pressure already being brought by the Catholic bishops of Congo, Senko, the Association of uh, the Episcopal Conference of uh, um, uh, Congo, on the current president. And so he's already feeling the pressure. And, well, like every other, every other politician, he's trying to use that podium. Mm -hmm. But I think that Pope Francis is focused prophetically on what he thinks and sees as the problem. And that is consistent with his message of a poor and merciful church. Mm. And so that the political leaders must take responsibility. The political leaders in Africa, that is, must mm. take responsibility for okay. the wreckages that we see around. Because Congo is suffering not simply because of the past, but also because of the present. And the two presidents of Congo and Rwanda must come to the uh, dialogue table. That's what Pope Francis is asking them, to practice the African spiritual uh, tradition of Ubuntu, of Palava. And, I mean, they have to do this for the sake of, the, of our people that are dying every day mm. because of this senseless conflict between two uh, Nepali uh, states and uh, people who have okay. deep historical cultural ties. I, I just want to bring in Massimo because you've been nodding in agreement. I'd just like to hear your take on, on what uh, Stan has said in Chicago. Right. I mean, I, I just wanted to mention that there's a normal pressure on what's going on in, in Congo on Congolese leaders, but as a sideshow, this is happening also in Italy and in Europe because there has been a in these last few days in the coverage of the Pope and, and of the Vatican in Italy, a series of articles by prominent commentators lamenting that the Pope is devoting too much attention to Africa and to the Southern Hemisphere, and he has forgotten Europe. This is very interesting because this shows uh, how disruptive, in a good sense, Pope Francis is being for the uh, Catholic culture of white men in Europe. And so you, you see that there are pressures that are, are very evident there on the ground, but there are other pressures uh, behind the scenes that are mounting against Francis, um, who seem 
too attentive to the peripheries of uh, the world. This is yeah. a key element of the tensions around this pontificate. It's funny you should say disruptive because that feeds into my next question for, for, for Christopher Lamb in Kinshasa because, and I'm quoting here, that the Pope is saying, hands off the Democratic Republic of Congo, hands off Africa, stop choke, cho choking Africa. It's not a mine to be stripped or a terrain to be plundered. And in terms of the disruptive element of of the Pope, he's basically highlighting, isn't he, the rich West or the developed countries and their companies who, who use or ha are using and have used Congo and its resources to build up their own financial wealth, respectively, in their companies and in their countries. And, and that focus is, must be very uncomfortable. Yes, absolutely. And Francis, from right from the word go in his pontificate, has had a radical social message. And part of that message is that the Pope wants the church to go to what he calls the peripheries um, and to take the message of the gospel out of, um, as I was mentioning, what's been the criticism of the Pope in Europe, away from the, say, the traditional heartlands of Catholic power and go out to those countries which are suffering to speak prophetically and to speak truth to power. And it is striking being here in Kinshasa with the Pope when you compare the reception the Pope has got and what he's saying and what he's talking about here with some of the things in the Vatican in recent weeks. We've had a series of books from disgruntled former officials lamenting the fact they lost their jobs, they couldn't get certain Vatican apartments. Um, these things seem, those things in the Vatican seem like another planet to what's happening in Kinshasa. And you look at the numbers turning out here, you look at the, the work the church is doing in healthcare and education, peace building. And actually you think that this is, this is where the church is both now, today, and it's the church of the future. I mean, you know, a majority of the population in, in, in Congo are under 24. There's a huge number of Catholics. This is the future of Catholicism that we're seeing. And we are witnessing a, a shift in um, you know, in, in the in the power balance in sure. Catholicism, the church is in places such as the Democratic Republic of Congo and South Sudan. Uh, Stan, I'd like to come to you. We're coming near to the end of the programme, so just some, some, some quick questions here. I mean, the Catholic Church, as as Christopher mentioned, you know, is becoming more and more relevant to a, a younger and younger uh, population. The Pope himself thinks that the future of the Catholic Church is in Africa. What's your general impression about the generational divide between young people in the faith and the older generation that have seen maybe two or three popes? Yes, I think there's a, a huge divide. I mean, Africa has also entered the digital world. And uh, the challenge today, I think, is whether Africans can take advantage, that is African Catholics, advantage of this openness that the Pope is showing towards Africa to give Africa a voice. And then for a people that have been held in this um, old form of Catholicism, there are many mm. African bishops who are very comfortable celebrating Mass in Latin. They want to restore some past um, imaginary past glory of Catholicism in Africa. And so even in Congo, there are new churches emerging, you know, Eglise de Reveille. These are new churches that are strongly opposed to Catholicism, even strongly opposed to the visit of the Pope. Many young people mm -hmm. are leaving the traditional uh, Eurocentric tradition, not only of uh, Catholicism, but also the main mainline churches, 
and they're finding home uh, in the Pentecostal and Evangelical groups in Africa and then African indigenous initiatives uh, in Christianity. So I think there is a great divide, and Pope Francis is trying to break this divide by creating uh, the freedom that uh, we didn't have as Africans in the Catholic Church until now uh, to really okay. speak our own voices and bring African agency to reinventing Catholicism in Africa. Okay. Stan, uh, thank you very much. Just very quickly, Massimo, final word. What do you hope the legacy of this trip will be? It's an important trip because it's a glimpse into the future, which is now called global Catholicism or world Christianity, which will look significantly different from what it has been the Eurocentric, uh, white male dominated uh, church uh, until a few years ago. Well, we shall see what does happen and what the uh, legacy of this trip will be in the coming days. Uh, to all of my guests, thank you. Christopher Lyman Kinshasa, Massimo Fagioli in Pennsylvania and Stan Elo in Chicago. Thanks for joining us on this edition of Inside Story. This episode was produced by Mohamed Aishi, Umi Kulsum Sharif, Fungi Nguyen, Abla Kala and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Alvaro Galan. The programme was edited by Georgios Florokapis, Lin Nguyen and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Thursday for our next episode.